welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hello, I'm Rachel. And each week on the Skies Wonder podcast, I'm joined by Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr as we talk about parenting our children with disabilities. I'm a qualified nurse. I'm the parent of three and my eldest son has cerebral palsy as well as other complex health needs. I'm the author of The Skies I'm Under and director of Born at the Right Time. Sarah Clayton is the CEO of Simple Stuff Works and her eldest daughter suffered a brain tumour at the age of six. Then, as a consequence of treatment and complications, she's now a wonderful young woman with learning disabilities and various medical needs. Lucy Parr makes up the season one trio, and she's part of her way through a PhD in educational psychology. Her third of four children has a chromosome duplication, which means he isn't verbal, has autism, high sensory needs, and very complex epilepsy. Last week... We talked about epilepsy and basically it was just one long trigger warning. This week we may well need the same level of alert as we talk about help. That four letter word as offensive and powerful as any other expletive we might express. So if you can face it, let's dive into help. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 11 of the Skies Rwanda podcast. I am delighted to be here once again with my lovely friends, Sarah and Lucy. Hello. Hello. And (laughs) uh, today we are talking about help. I need somebody. Okay, I'm apparently not allowed to sing help because of copyright issues. But although I don't think if there was a problem... That, that would be because it sounded at all <laughs> like what the actual original song sounds like. So I think from a copyright point of view, we're absolutely fine. Um, but I just won't subject you all to me singing because um, that's probably not a great idea. But yes, we're going to talk about help. Um, are we any good at taking it or not? What it looks like? What's good look like? What does not very good look like? Um, and so forth. But first, ladies, hello. And hello. how are you both? And what is the weather like in your neck of the woods? Well, I have just got back from New York. So oh, I'm, I'm just editing life. this bit out. <laughs> yeah, editing this bit out. Why? Because you've been, I've been to New York. Oh. Aww. Okay, no, 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 I'm not editing it out. Yay, I'm so thrilled for you. Tell me all about your wonderful Rachel time in bitter, New York. But she didn't I'm, get not, to New I'm York. not, I'm not. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. I danced in a gay cowboy bar in Hell's Kitchen. Um, Love it. Amazing. I got heckled at some underground. Com- I have no money, by the way. I did this on the very cheap. I did not do New York and do Broadway shows because I the, the price of a Hamilton ticket was literally my entire budget for the entire week so um that didn't I didn't get to go to any Broadway but I did go to all these kind of underground free there's tons of free shit the the only the only like downside was I did get smacked on the ass in the cowboy gay bar and it was interesting because I I initially was very prickled by it and then actually in in about two seconds flat I realised I was in a gay bar and it wasn't predatory at all and I was <laughs> way less pissed off than somebody I mean there's still the body autonomy issue but you know it was interesting um yeah so it was fun it was really fun uh, I'm quite tired I came back and then had to go straight to eight till four forty-five everyday job and so. the question the question on everybody's lips is how often did you pretend to be somebody else? In a previous episode, Lucy confessed to the fact that when she is places that people don't know her, she just like takes over being a different version of herself. Like, what would I be like if I was um, the manager of a gay boy band, for example, whilst in a gay bar in New a, York. That is, a, that is a great shout. I've never actually done that. So thanks for the inspo. But 
Well, actually, just being myself over there was very exciting because um, I got heckled a couple of times on in the comedy shows because, you know, they stand up and do the, the comedy joke and before they do the joke, they're like, oh, anyone here got kids if they're about to do a yeah. joke about kids? And I'd like be like, yeah, me. And I'd be the only person who put their hand up. And then they'd like <laughs> look at me and be like, what? You've got a kid? And I'm like, yeah, I've got four. And then, and then again, what? And so like they, they'd interrogate me for a bit and then... One of one particular lady was like, "What? So let me get this straight. You've basically come to New York, left your kids at home with their dads, and you're having the time of your life in New York by yourself." And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "We all need to be Lucy." <laughs> <laughs> Did you say to them, "There's a little bit of small print that you might yeah. want to sign up to"? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here is the, say, the book of small print. Well, I'm going to do a very brief um, update as to where I am. I'm just knackered. I'm a bit mm-hmm. tired. I'm a bit flat, um, but. We're going to still do this thing. Sarah, are you going to do the uh, light sort of man hug, pat on the back? No, I'm all right, actually. I've slept. <gasps> I know. That's good. I know. Like, went to bed, slept, woke up when the alarm went off. Oh, genius. So, which so has nice. been, yeah, totally. And it's made a massive difference. Um, and I didn't, didn't do anything different. I have just, I don't know what it is. Something inside my brain switched off. So that's good. I'm delighted. Excellent. Part is, switched off or died. One of the other, and that's just great. Excellent. So good to know. And I guess, would you believe it, it's would you believe that Lucy got heckled in New York and got assumed to being way much younger than she actually is. I did. Um, the average age guess was like 24. I will take that. I'm nearly 40. <laughs> did, you just wonder, did you just yeah. wander around asking people? Well, no, I met, some, I met some locals. I didn't yes. just wander around asking people. I met some locals and they were like, actually, they, they kind of came and chatted to me after the, um, uh, after the comedy show and were like, I can't believe you're... And they made me show them my passport because they le- legitimately did not believe that I was like who as old as I said I was. Did they, um, did they take photographs kids. of that and borrow your credit card for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> no. If they we butter up, then we can take your ID. <laughs> A quick whiff, and they not had the weird, not the weird at all. Suspicious, <laughs> you know. Then, you completely look like you're in your early twenties. And then I said, "Oh, um, why don't can you can you guys show me a good place to go?" And they took me to the to the gay cowboy bar, and I ended up being this lady who was Jewish, and her name was Zipporah. Her parents were not fucking about with that name, were they? Um, and <laughs> that's Moses' Zipporah. wife in Moses the Bible. Wife. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like straight over my head. <laughs> you two know what like, I'm like. Yeah, massively Jewish name. They were really good. Um, and then I, yeah, I was basically her party trick for the night. She kept, like, taking me to people and going, how old do you think she is? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shit you not. And so the average age was, like, 24. Oh, I mean, it was you've got to take that. It would <laughs> be fair. <laughs> the lights were turned off. It was and really dark. All there was alcohol. Yeah. Everyone was drunk. But, you know, I still, that's a win. I'm going to take that. On that note of uh, games, of guessing things, um, we're going to play a game today. And our Ooh. game today is the Wheel of Misfortune. <laughs> so... We're talking today about help, and I thought it would be good if I could get you ladies to guess um, some of the statistics around families of children with disabilities. Um, And this is from Research by Disabled Children's Partnership, which I will put a link into the blurb about this episode. Um, So... I could it, we could do a little bit of um, Bruce sort of higher or lower, if somebody wants to guess. But we'll start off with what percentage of people f- that so these are families that have been um, sent a research kind of questionnaire. What percentage of families thought that dis- their disabled children and families got the right support from councils and NHS? Ooh, I'm gonna go low. Really go low. low. Yeah. What? Like, I'm gonna on, say put it... uh, ten percent. Mm, maybe a bit more. Maybe fifteen. Oh, very good. Eighteen percent. Ooh. How many shit, people? Let's face it. <laughs> That's really bad. So eighty-two percent. Eighteen. Yeah. Eighty-two percent 
are not and satisfied. Not, are not getting the right no. support. So how many said that the delays disabled children and families have experienced, so the delays during the pandemic, were unacceptable? How many thought, 100% do you know what, the high. pandemic, well, you know, there's been a pandemic. Everyone else seemed to get thought about and disabled families did not get thought about at all. Not, yeah, absolutely. 95%. Um, 87%. 87%. 73%. You ladies are hard-nosed. <laughs> you are, like, <laughs> brutal. Yeah, we okay. had to live with uh, our children during the pandemic, that's why. Exactly. What percentage of disabled children are still not able to access their pre-pandemic levels of therapies and health services? So what people were getting two years ago, which we're not saying was perfect but just mm -hmm. to go back to two years ago of whatever therapies or appointments or services respite all those kind of things what percentage of disabled children are not getting pre-pandemic level of therapies and services I, I sort of feel like it's a trick question because it was shit before and it's probably still shit now so <laughs> I, I imagine it's just like same shitness different day pre-pandemic okay. so I reckon probably uh, I don't know maybe 50 50%? I reckon, so we're thinking about like the 18% of people that were getting the right support before. Mm -hmm. uh, I reckon I reckon you're probably about 40%. Over 70% of disabled children are still not getting access to the level of support of therapies and health services that they got before the pandemic. 70%, 7 out of and that's people. really even crazy because if it was shit before and it is even shitter now then that's really bad yeah you know okay so social isolation how many out of 10 are we talking still feel like are their children are socially socially isolated as a result of the pandemic now so this was in the last high. couple of months this research i think that's gonna be really high so i think that's probably like eight Nine out of ten people Nine said they're disabled children. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And what about the parents? Who ten still out of ten. Hundred percent. No, six out of ten. So said. Oh okay. So that they're still feeling because their mm. parent parents are still being able to access, but the 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 demonstration of that is those people, their children who are more vulnerable, yep. are not, um, they're they're not feeling safe or they're their support network don't feel that it's safe for them to access yeah. the world and yeah, as yeah. the world opens up then and the rest of us kind of go back into a level of normality and wander around with our masks and stuff those most marginalized those, those most clinically vulnerable are the ones that are still um having to restrict um, their social um, connections and therefore their mental health and their well-being mm -hmm. yeah and I wonder as well how much of it has been um how much of it is restricting from for those reasons and I wonder as well how much of it is because some of those services now no longer exist you mm. know kind of I know locally there were some act yeah. action for children services that were kind of more social stuff and they sort of disappeared and haven't reappeared um, I think that's yeah that's probably the case on a lot of places because it's a the real skeptic in me is all about it's a convenient you know mm. reason oh it hasn't happened for a while and nobody's died so therefore we'll will not bring it back because it yeah. cuts money. And like, on that on that note, so um, the last of our wheel of misfortune, <laughs> um, what percentage of local authorities have cut respite in the last year or so, given the prevalence increase, relationship breakdown and social isolation mm. that we've just talked about? Who, really how many has cut Local Are authorities. you talking percentage? Percentage. I would say 80%. Oh, you took my number. Oh, I'm going to say, 80, I'm gonna say 81%. Percent. <laughs> You're both so pessimistic. 40%. Oh, okay. 40%. And mm. um, because we do, got to remember, they do have a statutory duty <laughs> to provide your... <laughs> well, it's never fucking changed anything before. <laughs> But I think I think I just wanted to start on there and say this whole when we're talking about help, I think one of the key things to acknowledge is that the way in which our 
health, social care and education, specialist education service provision is set up is that for parents like us to get help externally, we need to be on our knees. We need to Mm. sing, dance, shout, cry, fight other people for it. Um, And I think that is a really strong narrative when it comes to our own starting point on getting help, taking help, asking for help. So I think that's really important from a a cultural context of what it feels like. Um, And also to say, I don't think that's what the general public think is the reality for families of children with disabilities. Mm. I actually think it's the opposite. I think people think that we get a lot. Like mm. there's, I think people are like, oh, you get a blue badge and, you, you know, they think it's a given because in an ideal world it would be a given yeah. that we get support. And so yeah. they think that because they haven't faced the actual reality versus the magical thinking, they go with the magical thinking of best case scenario and have no idea that that's actually incredibly not what it's like in reality. Yeah, um, incredibly not what it's like. I like yeah. that <laughs> because it's that, like you say, that disparity between the rhetoric and the reality. Mm-hmm. The rhetoric is sure. you can get carers allowance, you can get yeah. carers assessment. The rhetoric is we have all these specialist services. Look, there is this disabled toilet. Look, there is this notice board of all the services mm-hmm. versus the reality of the number of people who access that and whether that scratches the itch that you've got. People who are not in the disability world wouldn't necessarily even know that you need a social worker to access yeah. all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. And that that social worker is a different social worker yeah. from if you are struggling to manage your children or, you know, for whatever reason you have issues and you can't parent them in the best way and they need yeah. to be fostered or whatever. And I, ha- yeah, I had a real, like, kind of, I don't know, jarring over this point because we mm. obviously decided to put Brecon in respite. Um, yeah. in residential provision and residential provision means he's technically a child in care yeah so mm. it's that whole like if if people have children who have needs that can't be met in the community and therefore the best place for them is residential provision their mm-hmm. child is automatically a child in care you know if it comes up that he's a child in care for whatever reason i then have to follow it up with a justification yeah <laughs> and and i shouldn't have to do that and also then i of question myself actually mm. even if you do have a child in care because the uh, for the other reasons other than a child that has unmet needs actually that's okay that's you know that is a thing too and why should I be so judgmental and needing to justify my type of child in care versus yeah. the other type of child in care you know like I was like yeah that actually I need to not be that person mm. um, but yeah. that's part of your story as well isn't it so there's there is there yeah. an element to which that um want a better word triggers a whole heap of emotions in you so that's that's a very personal that's not that's not you judging from a million miles away from that story that's from you um living that story as well and lucy Mm -hmm. shares about that more in previous episodes but i think there's Mm -hmm. there's more layers to that context isn't there Yeah, yeah definitely So when it comes to um, help and asking for help, what are the things, um, can you think of any kind of narratives, any trains of thought? What's your default thinking when it comes to asking for help or needing help from a practical point of view? Well, I do not need any help, thank you very much. (laughs) Because you're going (laughs) to Toys R Us. (laughs) Thank you so much. For your kind offer, but I am perfectly okay balancing everything on my own. Oh, I, so Sarah's going to dip out of the rest of this episode it, totally, because, she, because it's because that attitude has served me so irrelevant. well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so I don't know about you two. You mean helping I, others? Is that what you mean? You, yes, I can help others, but that's it. I know. I can do that, mm-hmm. and I. But the the thought of who knows whether that's to do with having had a kind of job role. I don't know, Rachel, whether you feel that idea. You know, kind of whether your whether your job Help role has had something to do exactly. We don't really understand, do we? What like kind of the roles of carers and there's there's something othering 
you know, kind of in the whole media thing of, of uh, you know. Those you, poor pity people. The poor, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. when you find out that um, the only difference between the people that in the past you thought, oh, bless them and put your change into the children need pot thing, um, is like the only difference between them and you is, is luck and time. <laughs> you know, for vulnerability... Mm-hmm. That's just it, isn't it? There's, mm-hmm. It's just luck and time and there's nothing else that separates you. Mm-hmm. And when you learn that, and I don't know how you learn that without falling Living down it. the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to say that I uh, recognise my own needs and I ask for help. I recognise that my judgmental reaction, a little bit like you saying, Lucy, about the kind of the idea of your child being in care or not, just needing help that I had a mm. I had a perception of myself as being the helper and I recognized um I was listening yeah. to someone talk once and they were like if you cannot take help then you shouldn't be giving it because what you're doing is pity based mm. it's judgmental it's arrogant it's you know if you mm. want to be a helper mm-hmm. you have to be the person that also takes help and I remember listening to that and literally taking it and really sinking in and thinking no that's true like Mm. if I you know and and that those things are really important they go hand in hand like that Mm. that connecting with people in their vulnerability without being judgy dominant power Mm. over rather than power with comes from being mm-hmm. equally vulnerable yeah. and equally receptive to support. So I think I've I think I have done that much, much better. I don't like needing help, but I'm very, very happy mm. to take it. <laughs> yeah. Well we live in a really individualist culture, don't we? Yeah. We live in a, a culture that forget disability, not disability, but our culture is all about well, you need to be independent. You need to mm-hmm. um, survive on your own. You need to learn how to stand on your own two feet. Those are all things that are held up in our culture as good things. And vulnerability and weakness isn't. And mm. asking yep. for help isn't. And I wonder whether that is partly serving a system which is not set up to offer and give help. So, you know, telling people that... R- framing people standing on their own two feet and independence and all that stuff in a in a positive way then obviously kind of takes the pressure off the system to mm. be giving handouts as it were mm. um, and how it's seen i'm very aware i need help like reckon's needs have forever been crazy and from the off i have known this mm-hmm. is insane yeah i need help I can't do this mm. on our own we didn't have any family support or any friend support in terms of like support that could help us with brex or in that arena really had to battle against my own experience of asking for help previously which was Mm. my understanding of through my childhood with my mum asking for help with me asking for help is that people don't help um, Mm. and systems don't help and the people that are supposed to help um you know i i was in care in year nine and like when i was 13 and i was asking and saying you know um this is the problem, this is what I need help with, this is what's going on at home. And I just wasn't, I was just not listened to, nothing was done, etc., etc. So I just stopped talking. And so I, that, mm. now when I need to ask yeah. for help, I have to unlearn all that lived experience of, well, people aren't going to help anyway. How many people have gone and said, I need help here? And they've been, right, yes, of course. You know, most of us have to, you know, we, mm. we you know, I really rile against that kind of warrior talk but there is a kind of um level of scrutiny a level of justification a level of Mm. um proving you know jumping through hoops required and we've said before that whole thing of um pitting you against each other you know the conversation that you've had in the past in recent weeks Sarah with the EACP um (laughs) caseworker saying well 12 children will get support and yeah, yeah will not get support if your Nothing. daughter gets this yeah. thing yeah and it's like okay let's just let's just go and kill mm-hmm. ourselves out yeah. in our swords and armory mm-hmm. and let's just take this to the gladiator <laughs> ring and let's just 
fight it out. Let's take these 12 imaginary children. Mm -hmm. They're most likely to be 12 children whose parents may well mm -hmm. not be able, awesome. not even know there's a hoop, not, not know mm -hmm. how to get through that hoop, not know. And so, yeah. so there's that, I know the system and I can, I can navigate that system because there's a there's English as my first language. There's mm -hmm. there's oh, there's just so much privilege sitting yeah. on this little yeah. um on this little chair at the moment. Recogni you know, yeah, absolutely recognizing just that. recognizing it and feeling it, you know, and and knowing that that is what happens. It's just so I get yeah, yeah. so I guess there's associative guilt with asking for help in mm -hmm. our context. Yeah, which yes. is yeah hard to manage because you don't want to fuck anyone else over. I kind of got over that. Because Brecon is in a very expensive provision, like a very expensive provision, I think one of the mm -hmm. most expensive in the local authority, um, which is a completely appropriate for what he needs. Totally. Um, but I had to do some real, like, getting over the fact that actually the, all those other imaginary children are yep. not my worry. They are the worry of the local authority and if if not yeah. the local authority central central government and that's yeah. who's that's who's accountable that's who's responsible the flip of that though Luce, is that you have been holding mm -hmm. what costs the regular mm -hmm. person yeah. thousands of pounds every week to do you've been doing that stuff whilst looking after three other children whilst mm -hmm. doing a job so you can feed them whilst blinking well going to university and getting degree and de you know what yeah. I mean yeah we can we can look at it and go mm. oh I'm, you know my goodness aren't they so lucky that they're doing that it's like also that just shows you what you've been trying yeah. to do for them yeah. to and say it... for this person to be safely looked after yeah. requires that much support wouldn't it be incredible for for that recognition <laughs> what if you had those thousands of pounds a week we expect families to do it on a shoestring. Yeah. And yet when you actually calculate the level of care that's going in, it's like, oh, surprise, surprise. It's you know, a bit expensive. It's a little bit expensive. So you do it with love yeah. um, and bugger all else. Simple Stuff Works is a family-run, world-leading provider of positioning equipment and postural care training. Their mission is to keep people feeling comfortable and protect their bodies from avoidable and devastating changes in body shape. Simple Stuff Works puts people and their families at the centre of postural care by making everything as accessible as possible. You can check out their YouTube channel for free access to training and their website www.simplestuffworks.co.uk for more downloadable resources. That's www.simplestuffworks.co.uk. Lucy, you just said, you know, very early on, you're like, this is bigger than me. I think I asked for it quite early on. Um, and I don't know, again, is that my clinical background? Is that my nursing thing? Or you kind of mentioned that privilege, Sarah, is that all that we're just quite privileged and that we were able to understand the statutory duties and legislation and therefore asked for help or is it something yeah, else I don't know I didn't I didn't understand that initially I was just like oh my god this is absolute fucking carnage um, <laughs> that's, that's basically it uh, and then I went to the P, the um I think it was the community paediatrician and I had to fight the community paediatrician to do anything decent and then eventually when we did get a paediatrician that listened she kind of took up the baton for me and mm. was like this is insane that these this family is not getting any support because yeah. we didn't get any support for years and years and she was like she kept saying this is absolutely insane like how this is not you know this is not doable for any human being yeah um and that was really helpful but yeah I don't think I did know at the beginning I do now. I know a lot now, professionally and personally. Um, but you didn't get it. So, so did you? Did so you didn't get it? So, yeah. You know, I mean, I think I've always taken. Um, no, I've gotten better at taking informal help. So you know, my mum would help whether I like it or not. <laughs> I do. Good. I'm grateful, mum. I am grateful. Yeah. Um, but I think I got better at and I'm much better now at asking my friends for help like yeah 
Um, and I get really cross when they don't ask me for help. I think that reciprocity is important because yeah. of, taking it back to what you said just now about that power dynamic. Yeah. If you if you're if you're a helper and not a helpy, it comes from a pity point of view, yeah. and so you don't want to be perceiving that somebody else pities you mm-hmm. if yeah. they are mm-hmm. giving you the help and not asking for help occasionally as well. Absolutely. Um, I my my kind of asking for help really is relatively recent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and and. Her needs are very different, really very, very different um, to your kids, you know. Um, but I also, so I live in a little lane and then from from this, this little bedroom here, I can see my mum and dad's house, the little bungalow. And then I can also, if I stand up, I can see the chimneys of my sister's houses because it's all, it's like a commune. Um, <laughs> that's so lovely and also and I feel like we need to do the music the music yes. from the railway children will now play <laughs> as we reminisce about Sarah's <laughs> living situation with do, her 1950s family it's the Walton <laughs> you know you can night, it's like good night John boy <laughs> so it would be what would be classed as sort of social care support well actually the, the mafia live just opposite do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> But it is, and and I and genuinely, there's a, a friend of mine who, you know, in one of the in one of the the sort of crazy times, was saying, "I really want to help." And she, it was it was her that turned on the mafia. She was like, "I really want to help, but you have the mafia, and nobody quite knows how to <laughs> how to get past them." What that's meant is that now that we've kind of sort of been spat out of the education system, because I haven't. I haven't had the other gone. Structures no, in place. exactly. I haven't got any of that. And she hasn't got any of that. So it was almost like there is no plan. There is no mm-hmm. what on earth. And then that realization that I can't do it forever. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and you can't earlier, do it what she needs. No, like, I can't. What you can do is lots, and what the mafia can do is lots. Yep. But that doesn't necessarily look like. No. It's what not what she right wants either. Not what she wants, it's not what yeah. she wants. She wants. She's yeah. she's ambitious. She wants to go. She wants to make her own way in the world, mm-hmm. and that makes me feel sick because <laughs> of oh, because but, you have your family opposite the road. Yeah. So why would she not just have another little hut exactly? There's a there's a bridge. The there's a bridge at one end of the street that goes over the canal. There's a bridge at the other end that goes over the river. And when we were little, the rule was don't go over the bridge, and that's sort of how I live life, really, is just don't, just go, don't go over the bridge. bridge. Just... And she's she's up for going over the bridge. Mm. And that's okay. We will she, manage it. When Sarah says, that's okay, that's Sarah <laughs> says, I'm trying to persuade myself that that's okay. So what is the worst kind of help that you have either given or been offered? Because there are different flavours. There's good mm. help and less good help. Let's be positive. Um, what, what's the kind of help you don't want look like? I think from a kind of social care perspective, because I don't really have any other things to draw on. Actually, I do. My the worst help family wise is inconsistent, mm. like, inconsistent dropping in and out. That, so yeah. my dad, who's never going to listen to this podcast, and if he does, then I don't really care. But he <laughs> he he is he will drop into my life sporadically at random occasions because he feels bad and mm-hmm. then he's done his like oh I've I've done my yearly chat with the daughter tick and it's never been about helping me or helping our family he lives 10 minutes down the road he's absolutely aware of all the things that have gone on with Brecken um, and he's absolutely aware of the needs of our family and he chooses not to help so that that inconsistent help where that is it's not about helping and supporting it's mm. about the other person feeling better about themselves which ties into what you're saying about the power dynamic and the pity thing similar mm-hmm. similar stuff yeah um from a from a professional perspective bullshit like clubs and stuff that tick boxes <laughs> for the local authority so we we have short breaks we rename them ship breaks because they're they're like what so there'll be like two hour sessions in the middle of the day yes the holidays <laughs> Two yes. sessions in the middle of the day, and it will be like, let's all sit down and do clay. I'm sorry, what? But in what universe is my child A going to sit down for two hours? Like, 
<laughs> More than 30 seconds, you're lucky. And B, make a fucking clay model. Are you shitting me? No. Like, it's not going to work. And all of the short breaks are like that. They're aimed at a specific kind of um, group of children with SEN. And it's usually... MLD, you know, it's usually moderate learning difficulties, and that's great. And if it works for your child, fantastic. But it's not going to fucking bollock and work for Brecken, is it? And <sighs> that it that is just shit. But those two things are exactly what I would say. So number one is I end up being in situations where I feel I have to go to this event that these people are putting on mm. to help families like mine because I feel like I need to support it, which is flipping <laughs> ridiculous. It's like I'm supporting the respite service. <laughs> <laughs> rather yeah. than the respite service or whatever provision is it's like oh i need to go to that activity day <laughs> so that they have people who go um and then the other thing is the inconsistencies you can have amazing provision from people you can have fantastic services when you're there kind of like what you're saying with family members but if you cannot rely upon it, mm-hmm. it is useless. And I've yep. had this conversation with people who have, are, you know, specialists, really specialist, remarkable services. Um, but I've said to them, you know, but I have been, you know, been at this respite service and then had been sent home having unpacked everything when it takes a day and a half to pack our family up and to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the emotional upheaval, the fact that we've cancelled other carers and other to be there to, to access that service and then it's being cancelled. And I said, it is. it doesn't matter how brilliantly and comfortable your Rolls Royce is, if it doesn't start and the engine is unreliable, it is absolutely useless. Yep. So you can have mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles and whatever it is that you want, but it's the consistency and the reliability that is fundamental. You can be mediocre Absolutely. and reliable, and I'm there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can be, I, I don't care how exceptional you are, if I can't rely on you, you're no use to me. the best kind of help I would be the help that is relevant to me mm. so I could totally get that thing of we're providing short breaks and it's a two-hour thing at a scout hut on the other side of town <laughs> it's gonna oh, take you three no. hours round trip to get yes there. exactly that <laughs> and what are you gonna do, you gonna do for home. two hours <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's just so anyone who arranges short breaks who is listening to this <laughs> notes <laughs> sit in the car for two hours wondering what you could be doing but like if you were to sit me down and and um less so now but kind of remember really really busy times when the when the other kids were younger and all that sort of stuff what I needed help with was the ironing the washing the Mm. you know that kind of that's the help I needed like clean the bathroom because I can it's that stuff Mm. that would have been helpful not stuff that was outside of the house and you know Mm -hmm. but I guess that question is is the worst kind of help is the help that you um, don't actually need. Yeah. And the best kind of help is the help that you do need. Um, And I think we've touched on this that's consistent. And the thing that I've touched on before when I've talked to other parents is this whole idea that when you get help from services, it's help to look after your children. Like, you know, if you are going to get it, it's help too. And they're like, but I actually am a parent because I want to do that bit. Like that's, that's the it. bit I want to do, but what I'd rather is not be on the phone arguing about this therapy or this service yeah. or this transport yeah. issue or this, you know, actually I want help to take off the case worker load, mm-hmm. the kind of project management. Can someone do that for me so that I yeah. can get back to being a parent? The good help is stuff that's consistent is stuff that's connected to what we need and therefore reactive and responsive to our situations rather than services that um, are required. And I think there's something about um, when you're talking about informal help, it's that mutual reciprocal kind of totally others yeah. and, and it not being, not feeling like you're just pitied, but feeling yeah. like you're just in community. Yeah, yes. and that and that depends on you being able to maintain a network, doesn't it? Mm. To be part of that community, and I'm convinced that um, part of the whole disorientation at the beginning of these journeys that we've all been on is that you're 
usual network of support and the people that you would go to and that sort of stuff is whipped away mm-hmm. you know we've talked before haven't we about relationships and how those relationships change and sometimes disappear and and I think it then takes some time to build those back up again having the confidence within within that new community to be asking for help and to be offering help to others and all mm. of that sort of stuff it takes time but yeah. it does get you know yeah but it's the best kind of help what are we going to do to um to help better what are we going to do that's going to make us access help when we need it um provide help for others anybody got any good ideas as to how we could dress for the weather in the forthcoming weeks well i think we should kind of i think it would be a good idea to rethink help a little bit in terms of being on the receiving end in that you know those kind of support groups that are offered and things like that they're not our only support offer if that makes sense and i think a gig or a pub meet let's let's do a support network gathering in a pub like why mm-hmm. would we not do that? Because well, like a gay bar that... in New York, <laughs> well, we where cowboys it was dancing fun. on yeah. on the bar. The, on very the bar, good. it was proper coyote ugly. That was. And they I were know. Like, if, I was so if jealous. You put, if you put your head up, they like pour like alcohol in your mouth. If you <laughs> love coyote ugly, it was so good. But anyway, <laughs> but no, I think I think we really think like we feel like obligated to take help that is offered when it's not necessarily very helpful. Mm. And maybe maybe that whole idea of um, us going, oh, there's this support group, there's that support group, off you go. Uh, it's just not my thing to sit around and talk to other people no. and wallow in misery. And if that's your thing, great. I have no judgment on you. Fine, if it helps you, great. But for me, that's not, that's not it. And so being able to say, actually, that's not helpful, but this would be helpful. So mm. being able to advocate for ourselves in what we need to be helpful, I think is quite a strong tool in our current lives and maybe something that we're not very good at because we don't want to impose, we don't, you know, all that stuff we just talked about, we don't want to be seen to be weak. But if we can say no to the bad stuff and say yes to the good stuff and also say what we need and what's helpful... Um, I think that's one way to be a better helpee. Um, in terms of being a better helper, the reverse, listening to, to what people need and not just jumping in and going, well, I'm really good at cooking, so I'm going to bring dinner around and they don't like food. You know, or <laughs> they don't like... That's a stupid example. <laughs> you can bring it around to mine. It's true. If anybody out there has got any of Lucy's meals they don't want, just bring them I'll around to them. mine because I'll, I'll eat anything. Them. Um, I think that that really taps back to some of the stuff we talked about in the self-care episode in episode nine. Um, it's the same. It's the same principles, isn't it? It's the same principles of um, taking help from others is about making those wise choices about not doing the extra thing necessarily, but potentially creating um, being more clear about what mm. good help looks like. And rather than, than just, OK, yeah. yeah you know being spoon fed what's Mm -hmm. on offer but being reflective it's probably coming back to having the time and space and energy to reflect on what is helpful Mm. and therefore um what we need to invest in to get that help i think part of my journey in being more helpful is this whole idea that i have that i am kind of where sarah started i am in fact superwoman and I don't need any help and I can do this better than anybody else and like that whole I know that's utter nonsense I know that's not me but that's that I still have that version of myself that I wake up thinking I might be for a split second and then I can't be asked to do the sit-ups and the press-ups and the whatever else I was gonna <laughs> and my wonderful self was gonna do without any refined sugars for the whole day um, and by 9 30 I'm eating three cupcakes like I just need to take that person outside and and as in that other version of me take them outside and say you're, d- you're done I'm not entertaining you anymore. Yeah. I am the frail, vulnerable, you know, and that's not a weak, that's not a bad thing. There was this whole talk in the pandemic of not staying clinically vulnerable because that was like 
very judgmental. It's like it's only judgmental if we think that's bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how about we just accept that we are all vulnerable, we all need help, and all we're suggesting actually is that you stop long enough to reflect that what kind of help do you need and what kind of help can you offer? Born at the Right Time is an organisation focused on bridging the gap between families of people with complex needs and the many practitioners who support us. Through CPD certified training, workshops, advocacy and campaigning, Born at the Right Time team are passionate about seeing a cultural change in the policies that surround us, improving the service at delivery and bringing about a better lived experience for people caring for those with complex disabilities. So go to www.bornattherighttime.com for more information on CPD certified courses, parent workshops, or buy one of my books, The Skies Are Under or Shattered. Visit bornattherighttime.com to help bridge the gap between families of children with complex needs and those people who support us. So shall we do the worst award for this week? And I think without without a shadow of a doubt, we could open the envelope and say that the worst award goes to Mrs. Positive Mum of the Year 2009, Sarah Kate. Thank you so much. And I accept this award on behalf of everybody who's ever had thrush. (laughs) Because... Because, well, this is it. And it relates, so I, you know, kind of the idea of not wanting to ask for help. So this was a time where I obviously, (laughs) I thought, have I got time for thrush? I decided, yes, I do. So I'm going to have to go and I've got to go to Boots. I've got to get the whole thing sorted out. I've got to fit this into everything else that I have to do. I go Just into Boots, the they, I say I need the, the canister and other other thrush creams are available. But I said, I need uh, that, that, that. And she, she said, have you taken it before? I said, yes. Countless times. Thank you so much. Just give me the stuff and let me go home. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. No, I have. Yeah, absolutely. So then, um, oh, yeah. This is. This sounds like I'm absolutely delighted about the number of yeah. times. Don't don't go dissing me at my thrush. I have thrush all the time. Are you sure you want to share this with the rest of the population? Should this ever actually yeah. be really successful? <laughs> well, you I lying. haven't used it. Have you not taken it before? I haven't. I, like that makes it sound as if this is just constant, and that I would have to go to different pharmacies because they would come to recognise me, and that I. Could... Which is just not true. Which, anyway, back to the story of this particular thrush. Well, I get home and the kids are doing the thing and the and everyone's trying to. They all want to eat and they want to have this, that, and the other. Oh bloody hell! So, um, so I take the tablet and I've and I've got the cream and I've put it in my pocket because I'll sort that out upstairs. And it took me quite. Yeah, we know where it goes. You don't need to go into that much detail. Well, it took me ages to take the tablet because it was massive. And I was like, oh, I don't remember this. But there you go. You know, I've got stuff to do. So then I turned around and on the, on the box, it says pessary. help like I'm not going to tell anybody about this ever and then like I message Rachel and it's like phone 111 you stupid so I'm like oh so phone 111 this is how much I don't like asking for help so I would rather I would rather like not know if if what I'd done was going to kill me than ask for help (laughs) But it doesn't, she said. She Death said, by pessary. <laughs> Death by pessary. <laughs> she 
would rather deal with death by pessary than phoning one 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 and asking for help. But asking for help. So I phoned them and she says, um, yeah, we just need to. So there was, there was no. I didn't hear. I could hear a smile in her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just dear. one moment we just need to check apparently um tim will know but there's some sort of poisons register thing should we yes there <laughs> we is. just need to go and check check the poison the poisons register. register so she goes off and she does that and she comes back and she says it, there's there's That's fine. You know, it's fine you're absolutely fine she said is there anything else i can help you with and i was like <laughs> <laughs> and you only just go if you could just never tell anybody that would be <laughs> I don't know whether I was more disappointed about the fact that there wasn't like a big dramatic kind of, you know, sorting me out and that I would have to take, you know, or the fact that, that there's nothing in the caniston. <laughs> <laughs> the, the beautiful end to that story is that Sarah then had to get in her car and go to a different chemist. <laughs> she said, the nurse said to me, the nurse said, you do know. She said, "Just so she's like at the end, she was like, um, can I can I just check? You do know that it won't have been effective. <laughs> <laughs> you will need to go and buy more.'" I was like, "Yes, thank, thank you." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching. Watching. Thank you so much for listening to episode eleven of the Sky One Skies Were Under, and listening to how we need to ask for help. Um, clearly all of us on this podcast need help um, and uh, I really hope that whatever skies you're under in the days to come you get the help you require and we will see you speak to you another time soon bye 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 and if you have stopped managing to cry with laughter this has been the skies ronda podcast with a very special thanks to sarah and lucy especially sarah <laughs> for helping me this week um to produce this podcast to harry for his help in editing out some of our hysteria despite the number of letters it contains help is not an explicit four-letter word it's part and parcel of being community, having positive relationships and having a healthy understanding that for many of our children, getting the best care means going beyond ourselves and getting the help of others. If you feel at all able to help us, can you tell one person this week about the podcast? Help by sharing one post on social media or sending it into a forum group on Facebook. You can also help by rating, reviewing and following the podcast. It takes so much time, money and energy for us to produce this for you. But with your help, maybe we can get to do another season. And for the days ahead, I hope you learn to help and be helped. Whatever skies you're under. <laughs>